Welcome to Break It Down, a ScanSource podcast brought to you by Cisco. On this podcast, we take complex tech topics and break them down for the non-tech listener with your hosts, Gabby, Ian, and Kyle. Welcome to another edition of Break It Down, a ScanSource podcast brought to you by our friends at Cisco. It's Ian, Gabby, Kyle, Cruz back together. We've all got our own unique identities, and that is what we are talking about today, folks. That's right. Digital identity. Gabby's excited for this one. She's done a lot of research, arguably more than I have for this episode. Definitely more than I have for this episode. So I guess <laughs> we should start where we always start is when did digital identity become a thing? When did your identity become digitalized? It's been a slow build. I think the we started talking about digital identity as a term because of some of the other topics we've covered, like security and internet of behaviors and things like that. But when thinking about digital identity, think, how do you prove who you are to the thing you're trying to access, I guess is a very simple way of doing it. So in the real world, the non-digital world, you as a, as a human being have ways to prove who you are. You have a driver's license, you have a passport, you have a, a badge you wear to get in and out of the building at work. You have people in those buildings, security guards, receptionists, etc., that can look at you and go, yes, I recognize you. You're allowed to enter the building. Those are all non-digital versions of an identity check. Digital identity is that in the IT world, the tech world, the computer world, the internet world, where you have to prove who you are so that you can access certain systems, so that you can log in to a website, so that you can get data out of the cloud. And not to get too complex in the opening two minutes, but the you part of who the digital identity is could be a computer, could be a computer talking to a computer. How does that one computer validate that it is who it says it is? How does a IoT device reaffirm that it is a IoT device when accessing data. So to make this consumable by a general audience, it's easier to think of how do human beings have digital identities. But yeah, like I said, it's been a slow build. The more and more we access data, the more systems we access as consumers of data, as connected devices to the internet, the more this concept of a digital identity manifests. And just so we can go ahead and get the continuity out of the way, we talked, the three of us talked about this a lot in the Internet of Behaviors episode, that all those elements of who you are and how companies market to you is part of your digital identity. I feel like the first thing that comes to mind is the Incredibles movie. Look, Ian, I'm giving a movie reference, but when they always have to stand... Like they always have to scan their eyes in that movie. Is that like, you think that will happen in the future? Or like, I feel like face, your iPhone does that with facial recognition now, kind of. That's right. So your digital identity is really made up of of two different things. I've saw one website refer to them as attributes and activities. And your digital identities, attributes are your name, 
your email address, your password, your social security number. But then you get into the biometrics part of it, which is the the fun part. And that's honestly what that's what you're bringing up, Gabby, is your fingerprint that you use to access your computer or to open, uh, unlock your phone, your smartphone, facial recognition, retina scans. Like these are not far out technologies. We use fingerprints, facial recognition all day, every day. Well, maybe Gabby doesn't because she has antique hardware in her house. But those of us that are in the uh, late, the uh, early adopters stage have smart devices we can unlock with our (laughs) fingerprints and our, in our faces. But yeah, retina scans, one of them, that's part of your, that's part of the attribute of your digital identity is the map of your eye. So yeah, that's very relevant. Uh, very current. We'll get to my movie later. But <laughs> we did talk about this a lot in the Internet Behaviors episode, and I don't want to repeat too much from it. But essentially, our digital identity will continue to develop depth, and we'll call it character, more and more, I think, as technology evolves. Because businesses and entities will essentially be able to link more to us as part of our digital identity through retail analytics and through our phones and through location services, right? Yep, that's right. So if you want to create a lane here to make sure this content's unique from the Internet of Behaviors one, we talked a lot about how our digital identity, which we didn't call it that then, but in that episode, we talked a lot about how people market to us, how we're targeted as consumers based on our activities, In this sense, when we're talking about digital identity today, it's really a security measure. So how do you prove, like I said, how do you prove that you are Ian Thompson when you log into your VPN or when you pick up your smartphone or when you go shopping on an e-commerce site? That's a whole different element. Yes, the activities, your browsing history, your how many pictures you upload to Instagram, like all of that stuff becomes part of your digital identity. Uh, But as a security measure, those things, your activities don't really factor into uh, establishing your identity. It's really the uh, the attributes. Well, I could say we talked per- about purchasing history. Purchasing history is really good data, but it can prove who you are. Medical history can prove who you are. So those are the key elements to the security part of this is the the attributes of you as a person that have become digitized for your online presence. Like avatars, that's also not your movie. No, it's not. But that gets me off. So like, I'm gonna continue to expand on this, I guess. So there are, if you have an Xbox or PlayStation, like you have a digital avatar. And today that's linked through like, like I have an Xbox and that's linked through a fake email address essentially because I don't ever use Live or Microsoft's email server. So it's like you create a, that's linked to that, but that's essentially then links to my personal email elsewhere. So I guess that avatar, even though I think of it's totally localized on just an Xbox, is probably actually part of my digital identity. Yep. I bet if I were to go do an internet search for your name right now, probably within a few clicks, I could probably find that Xbox avatar because they are all connected. Because you're... you're Email address is part of public domain. So if it's out there and you've used it to communicate with others, heaven forbid it being it's a Gmail address because you will get tons of spam through your it Gmail address. I do. Yep. So any, any of those public <laughs> <also> domains. Do. 
<laughs> Any of those public domains, your information is certainly collected and connected to your identity. So this, and this is going to be, a, I think, a generational thing again. We're really, I, again, I'm trying not to repeat internet behaviors. There are probably people who this scares, and there are probably a lot of security concerns that come with this because the more that is out there, the more that is available to people, to your point, the more that is public domain. So there isn't just a box or a so- like software that can protect your digital identity, I imagine. Yep. So what are things that someone can do short of the Ron Swanson get me off the grid, I'm going to live in a cabin to protect themselves and their digital identity. Yeah. Well, even if you went off the grid, that just means your digital identity stops evolving. It's still out there. Yeah. There's no real way to clear it, to start over, delete, get rid of, et cetera. We talked again, trying not to be repetitive. We talked a little bit about GDPR in the last episode and how the European Union is starting to address giving users control over what part of their digital identity is out there, but it's really tough to do. I think one of the more interesting things to your question, Ian, that it took me a while to believe or to trust, I guess, is that things like the biometric scans that we all use on our smart devices that we've been referencing, your fingerprint is not actually stored on the device. Your A picture of your face is not actually stored on your device. So there's already safeguards that have been put into place to get users to start to trust the technology that maybe are just not that that commonly known. The fingerprint, for instance, Gabby's got an iPhone 8, so she can open that we with her. Me out. That's right. She it's we recorded this in in 2015 or something. I I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even get the iPhone 8 until 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Was so, it not new then? No, I got like the old one to be cheap. <laughs> new to her. When you press your finger over the uh, fingerprint reader, when you set that up the first time, there's a, a little piece of software that scans your fingerprint. And the technology involved in how many scans and it's 3D and it's getting all the little hooks and curves and ridges in your fingerprint, it's amazing like how much technology goes into scanning it. But what then happens is your fingerprint and the attributes of your fingerprint are turned into a hash code, sort of like we talked about in blockchain. So it's an encrypted number that then is stored on a tamper-proof chip inside your phone. And when you try to unlock your phone or use that fingerprint to access purchasing through apps, the only thing the operating system, iOS, or the app gets is a, a yes or no or a pass or fail. It does not actually, you do not transmit your fingerprint to the app owners or to even to Apple's operating system. The physical device just interprets whether or not that fingerprint is yours. So way back to your original question, Ian, there's already some security built into this to safeguard people from giving up too much of their their personal data. The facial recognition thing works the same way. There's a map of your face. It happens the first time you set it up. That map turns into a code. That code is then used as a pass fail when you when you use things. 
you've probably all played with that. It works if you have your eyes closed. It works if you have sunglasses on. Like, it used to not work with glasses or sunglasses. Right. They updated that actually during the pandemic last That's year. right. Yep. So it's it's all points on your face and it maps your face into a grid and then grids become numbers and numbers become code and your your face becomes a digital entity. Random question. What if you're an identical twin? Can you get into your twin's iPhone? Like if it's just mapping your face. Yep. So I've I've seen that happen. It's been a while. I think I saw it on YouTube. There are so many points used on your face that it's got, I mean, you have to be identical. identical. <laughs> yes, before it will work. But there are so many points on your face that are used that it can tell the difference between identical twins. But I mean, you if you guys have used this, you know, like sometimes just the lighting that you're using, like you have to tilt the phone or tilt your face. It's pretty precise. So that leads me to my next question. And I'll, you know, very realistic movie, Mission Impossible. We can use two for this example. They have the face mask technology there. Yep. So would that work? Like, because that's, I mean, we're being super, obviously, like tongue in cheek here. Yep. That that's not real, but. Yeah, absolutely. This will be a fun little divergent. So in order to print a mask that is so accurate that you can fool facial recognition, you'd have to have technology that can do a tremendously high resolution scan of your face. And then a 3D printer that can then print that back out in such detail that you could fool the technology. So could we do that today? Not with anything consumer grade, that's for sure. But it's fun to think of the, I mean, you know, in movies, they fool retina scans by putting contact lenses in. That's not real. (laughs) Oh, it's not. No. But you're probably pretty close to getting to the face mask thing. So where, like this will continue to evolve, I imagine, and will be used more. And this goes back to uh, an episode we've done previously around zero trust and passwordless security. That's right. So our digital identity, and and we're not, we already discussed, we're not going to get into things like vaccine passports, which I do think is an application of this to an extent, but... Our digital identity, to me, seems like it's going to continue to evolve in importance as we continue to evolve. Yep, that's exactly right. I think so, too. We're already to the point now where our digital identity contains our credit card numbers, PayPal. We're already doing contactless pay, which we've also done an episode on. But all that stuff is part of our digital identity. I don't know what else we could give outside of, I mean, medical records. My relationship status is already on Facebook. Like, you know, all that stuff's already out there. It's all part of my identity anyway. The only thing I think we're missing right now is DNA. 23andMe records. Like, that's not following me around that I know of. Not yet. That's right. But maybe that's the next version or the next thing to become consumer grade attached to to digital identity. But yeah, it's... It will always be evolving. And again, the more we as users of data and consumers of the internet, the more convenience we want, the more security we're willing to give up. We will willfully participate in the giving away of our information to enrich our digital identity. I'm all for it. We know that, though. Yeah. 
It's an early adopter. Are you pro chip? Oh, the most pro chip. You're, you're pro chip. Okay. okay. All right. Chip in the neck with your whole digital identity built I into it. I prefer a wrist, I think. <laughs> okay. I'll take, I'll take neck. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll take you where I can get it. I would be a late adopter of the chip. Yeah. we got to get you Maybe an Apple Watch it. first. Never. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never get an Apple Watch. <laughs> It would annoy me to have all those notifications like pinging me constantly on my wrist. I don't. I don't think I would ever buy one. How else would you know that Ian was stuck in traffic? I mean, you got to get those notifications. <laughs> well, I did. I just didn't act on them correctly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I am excited for the future of our digital identities. I need to pay more attention to my virtual avatars and be cognizant of. You looking me up, I guess. Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna go do it right now. As soon as I click disconnect, I'll see you on Xbox, Ian. Thank you, guys. Webex by Cisco is the leading enterprise solution for video conferencing, online meetings, screen share, and webinars. Webex has one app for everything and everyone, with calling, meetings, messaging, and events in the cloud for teams of all sizes. WebEx is trusted by 85% of Fortune 500 companies and is adaptable for any work style, role, or device so you can choose when, where, and how you work. Reach out to evolve at scansource.com for more information on WebEx.